Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated station, or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Okay, hold on just a minute. I'll have to call you back. Hello, world. This is TJ Morris, and we're fixing to do a radio show with Jan Aldrich. A Mad Painter's here, and I've got Jan on the phone, but Jan, let me call you back online. I'll call you right back. Okay, a mad painter. You want to introduce yourself to everybody while I try to call him, or will it make the sound? <laughs> no, Are you it'll here? Probably make the sound. It'll probably make the sound, but that's all right. Go ahead. This is a mad painter. Uh-huh. I'm a radio host, uh, producer, artist, author, uh, pretty strange all-around guy, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy the show tonight. Uh, Jan Aldridge brings some great information about uh, UFOs and uh, what we can expect. I'm, I'm not sure exactly uh, what we're going to talk about this evening, but uh, I'm sure <laughs> we'll make it interesting. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm trying to reach him now. Folks, I had him on the phone, but I, I had to call him by in the studio, and I had to wait for it to open up. It's uh, technical stuff, right? But this is TJ Morris. Thank you for listening. And uh, we are the ACO Club here at TJ Morris CT Radio, and that is Thomas R. Becker. So we're going to see if we can get Jan Aldrich on here. And thank you, Hiro, apparently is listening. I don't know how, but thank you. He's on my phone right now. Let's see if this gets him. Okay. Jan. Hi, this is Jan. Hi, yeah, we'll have to get you to speak up a little bit because you are now live on the air. Jan, uh, a mad painter, which is Thomas R. Becker and me, Teresa J. Morris, is here for the UFO Association tonight. So tell us what all you've been doing because I wasn't uh, able to get Barry not having his phone number, and he's not on on Facebook. But is it just going to be you tonight? Uh, I guess so, yeah. Um. Oh, okay. Uh, what you got planned for us? Actually, I was actually. I what 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 happened was I was supposed to go. I had a trip planned to the National Archives in Washington. Yeah. But at the last minute, um, it turned out that um, we got a chance to go to uh, Chicago and. Um, digitize uh, some of the files at KUFOS. Right. Now, um, now, tell people what KUFOS is, because you're yeah, an old-timer. Well, it's an uh, 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 organization that uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek started. Uh, Hynek was the uh, 
for almost 20 years was the uh, uh, sci- uh, main scientific advisor to the uh, Project Blue Book. Okay. And a few years after Project Blue Book closed, he started the Center for UFO Studies. Okay. In Chicago, right? In Chicago. And uh, uh, the FBI kind of helped him out. Shortly after, yes, of course. Well, when the Air Force decided to quit, that they were going to stop taking UFO reports from the public, um, they didn't say they were going to stop taking UFO reports. They were going to only stop taking UFO reports from the public. Ah, So after that, one of the things that the Air Force didn't if uh, make a make any kind of uh, allowance for is where do the UFO reports go now? Yeah. So the Air Force said, "Well, you know, maybe maybe the local and state police will uh, uh, have uh, take take over that." Now the Air Force didn't consult with the police if they wanted to do that or anything. They just, you know, well, we're just we're just getting out of the business, and too bad. The, oh, okay. uh, the cops should do it. All so, right. so um, after that happened, um, uh, the FBI sort of got involved by saying, uh, "Look, this is putting a new." Uh, a new responsibility on the police, where before the Air Force had, you know, if anybody tried to get in the way of the Air Force, they'd they'd come and kick them out of the way. (laughs) Okay. They would say, you know, this is our responsibility. Nobody get involved here. And they even had some clashes with the Navy over that. Ah. So uh, the FBI uh, went ahead and... Uh, thought that the the police should have some help here. So they got with Hayek, and they had training for their people and some police officers, and uh, a hotline was set up for the police where they could call. If they got a UFO report, they could call Kufos. Oh, okay, that works. And send it to them, and uh, that worked for many years. Um, until Just in the U.S., though, right? Not not globally. Not not, not globally. No. All right, just for the United States. Yeah, that didn't oh, stop people from calling in, but yeah, it uh, it was mo- it was for you for the U.S. and it was mostly for the police. Uh, they had other methods for people to get in touch with Kufos otherwise. Was just understood back, that would be uh, right uh, after Blue Book. Would that be, what What year was that? 
Because I, there was about, uh, I think it was about 74, the FBI put out a uh, 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 bulletin. And, uh, they, you know, they they helped to a certain extent. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a great amount of help, but uh, they helped to a certain extent to implement the policy by in, informing local law enforcement that this was available to them. If they had UFO reports, they could. Yeah, they could call the uh, they could call Kufos. Okay, so the UFO business after Project Blue Book was uh, JL and Hynek's responsibility somehow. We don't. Uh, do we really know why he started Kufos other than they weren't going to keep the civilian? Well, there was there was no there was there was. Uh, um, there is no official body anymore. Um, I have some thoughts about why he got involved in this, but uh, there's nothing I can prove. Um, we've got the UFO files with uh, FBI. Those are open pretty much. Federal Bureau of Investigation has their own files. So you can right. look up UFO files under... Yeah, now, yeah if you if you go to my site, if you go to my site, you can find uh, a uh, uh, FBI file on Heineck and uh, and why, uh, to a certain extent, uh, 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 it's it's very favorable, you know, towards him. He's uh, uh, talk about him being a patriot and everything. Um, Are you so? We're, let's tell everybody the name of your site right now. So we're establishing a timeline based on Jan Aldrich, ufologist, folks. He's prior Army, and he's pretty much retired there as high as you can go as Master Sergeant listed. And uh, then he became a post office employee. I well, I guess you were on the f- f- boots on the ground postman, but. We can get into a little bit of that because I want to get into your UFO history and how you got into all this. But right now it's pretty cool because you started off talking about Blue Book, which a lot of people may know about or have seen recently on uh, History Channel or other channels. And uh, you lived all through that, as did I, and I'm sure a mad painter did because Matt was made and I was made. But back in the 70s, I just had had my daughter, my fourth child in Houston. So let's talk about 74, J. Allen Hynek, and what all we suspect was the history before J. Allen Hynek, and that which goes forward after Kufos becomes a archiving. Uh, it was a nonprofit, wasn't it? Do you know the history? Yeah, of it's direct- a nonprofit. It's still, it, it, yeah, it still exists. It's not gone. It's just um, they don't put out a magazine anymore. They still exist. They still do work. So they're still um, archiving. Where do they right, archive? Right, right. They, uh, um, well, a lot of material comes into their hands. Uh, they, they, uh, they don't really have a active investigation anymore, but a lot of material still comes into their hands. Well, I met J. Allen Hynek, and so, he has uh, involved. So this is interesting that he's gone. I'm here, and I'm talking to you. I find that very intriguing. 
<laughs> so, so, um, so, uh, yeah, so it, it, uh, they, they were very active, uh, from, uh, 1970 until, I don't know what's going on here. I don't either. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here, but apparently we were lost there for a minute. Now you're um, I have no clue what's yeah. going on. Can so, you hear me? Um, yeah, I can hear you. Very interesting. Ahmed Painter, are you still here? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. okay. I don't know why you have so, to um, but you're listed twice You sound like now. somebody was trying to call him. It does. Yeah, maybe that was it. Okay. Maybe yeah. two phones listed on here. I don't know yeah. which one to cut off, but they both say your phone number. Okay, okay. Well, keep going. So this is the history of the UFO. Uh, oh, hi. Um, from Project uh, uh, Right. Okay. Project Blue Book folds. He goes and talks to the uh uh to uh the head of uh um foreign technologies division at Wright Field. Wright Patterson now, Air Force Base at 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 uh Wright Patterson Air Force Base, he went and talked to the uh to the head of the foreign technology division, who, mm. who had they had been at one time uh, responsible for Project Blue Book. However, they and lost that response. Yeah, they lost their responsibility to the uh, uh, Air Force uh, Research and Development. Uh, Why? In R&D. Why? Well, they didn't want to do the, that? The Air Force, the research and development, Air Force Research and Development took over Project Blue Book from uh, Foreign Technologies Division. Um, and uh, they were the ones that, uh, research and development was the ones that uh, more or less uh Initiated the uh, idea that uh, after the Condon report, uh, uh, Blue Book should be closed. All right. Now explain a little about the Condon report, if you don't mind. Any data that you may have in your okay. Brain. So uh, the, the, in in 1966, the Air Force or 65 actually, there was a, a huge flap. And the Air Force put out a whole bunch of spurious explanations for some of the uh, um, incidents that uh, were covered in the press. Uh, that got them into a lot of trouble. Uh, uh, congressmen started looking closer at this. Um, uh, there was also a... Uh, Armed Services uh, Subcommittee hearing on UFOs, and the uh, 
there was uh, the uh, Scientific Advisory Board uh, in 1966 did a st uh, study of Blue Book, and they recommended that uh, a, a an independent scientific body take a look at UFOs. And it was recommended that uh, somewhere around a quarter million dollars be uh, spent for that. Wow. The recommendation was uh, it was uh, uh, adopted, and uh, the Air Force looked for a number of universities, and most of them didn't want it. And the University of Colorado uh, stepped up and uh, asked to do that. So they were selected. Yeah. Well, they asked Harvard. They asked Harvard and they asked Yale and they, they were not interested. So <laughs> okay. the University of Colorado was tasked to do that. Um, uh, and uh, the Air Force was uh, supposed to give them complete cooperation, which didn't quite happen. But uh, uh, so they they studied UFOs for a, a certain amount of time, and when it got close to the end of their study period, they said we need more money and more time, which they were granted. Uh, they finished their study in '68. Uh, uh, what did they study on? data that was collected from individuals uh, in uniform and out civilians or uh, right well the, the thing was they were supposed to or what they thought they should do is look at uh, current data not go right. back into the files and try to justify or re uh evaluate cases that were already there. They ended up doing some of that anyways, but uh, basically they were supposed to look at what's going on now. We um, didn't have much of a forensic base back then. Our technology forensic... All right, well, they, they, uh, they, okay. they spent months just figuring out how they were going to study UFOs, so they didn't... Uh, <laughs> it, was, okay. it wasn't something that was easy for them. Uh, and after they did, um, uh, you could say they had some good points. Um, they wanted to have uh, teams that could uh, rapidly deploy if there was a UFO sighting so they could get there right away and uh, do some of some uh, investigations right away, but a lot of the cases they selected were kind of poor. Uh, uh, they did have, I mean, uh, Roy Craig was was in charge of that, Dr. Roy Craig, and he, uh, we interviewed him. Uh, he did have an excellent uh, uh, kit to take out to field investigations, uh, he had he had an excellent idea about you. Uh, we should try to uh, 
find the most reliable people that report these things and the most strange cases, if we can find a, a cases that are uh, have uh, rather strain, uh, high strangeness and high reliability, that's the kind of cases we should go out and investigate. But he broke his own rule almost immediately uh, uh, and went out and investigated uh, two 14-year-olds, one who had just had a birthday and got a camera, and they were going to march into the woods and take pictures of flying saucers, which oh. they succeeded in doing. <laughs> and then Craig threw all his um, criteria aside and went out and investigated these two 14-year-olds. I said, yeah, my God, how, 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 did you, how did you think that that is a good case to investigate? So their, their selection of cases wasn't that good. Um, they did have an early warning network, which they got a lot of people from uh, NICAP and other organizations to uh, let them know if there were cases uh, that might be interesting in their area. And they did investigate some of these cases. They went out and investigated uh, uh, Beverly, Massachusetts with Ray Fowler and... Uh, um, uh, certain other cases that were actually uh, substantial cases that they should have they should have investigated. Um, NICAP gave them uh, a large number of cases that they thought they should look into, and so did uh, Dr. James McDonald from the University of Arizona, but. Uh, they ended up uh, investigating uh, what I would call trivial cases, uh, maybe uh, quite a few trivial cases. They did investigate uh, more substantial cases, and from the more substantial cases, about a third of the cases they investigated still did not have an answer after they got through investigating. After the scientists got investigate, got through investigate. In any case, uh, Colorado said, you know, there's nothing to this, and uh, UFOs should no longer be investigated by the government. They shouldn't spend any money on it. Uh, nobody should get any support in investigating this stuff. Uh, and they asked the National Science Foundation to. Uh, uh, go ahead and look at their work and uh, uh, see if they uh, concurred. And uh, I have some papers from the uh, from the committee from the National Science Foundation that that looked into this. Uh, in the beginning, the National Science Foundation was. The, the committee said, well, you know, it's, it may not be the last word, and we should always keep an open mind, but uh, uh, Condon came back and said, no, 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 that's not what we want to do. We want to uh, end all government investigations forever. And hmm. he was very convincing, and that, that the recommendation was 
adopted by the National Science Foundation. So, um, did they have an academic uh, team with an archaeologist, anthropologist, uh, anyone in nuclear or paperclip or MJ12 people working together with them? Or who are making these choices? Well, the, the Air Force was supposed to give them full cooperation. And uh, they were supposed to investigate uh, cases the, uh, the way, more or less the way uh, Colorado wanted them investigated. So, uh, yes, uh, the whole of the U.S. government was supposed to uh, cooperate with Colorado including the Federal uh, Aviation Agency and um, uh, other other uh, agencies so uh, yes they did get they did get uh, support from um, from other uh, other agencies but um, uh, the Smithsonian was gonna, was was doing something uh, about this same time, I was looking at the, they had the Center for Short-Lived Phenomena, and uh, the for what? The Center for Short-Lived Phenomena. Short-lived things phenomena. That, yes, things that take okay. place in just a, just a few minutes or and disappear. Uh huh. So it's like a, like a meteor or things like that. There were there it was it was things that were. Uh, Hard to study, so the, the Smithsonian established that thing. Uh-huh. Um, and so when the Air Force closed Project Blue Book, they recommended that nobody look at UFOs, including the Smithsonian. Um, oh, yeah, let's just however, totally ignore it. <laughs> and maybe it'll yeah, go that's away. right. Completely, no, no more, no more investigations. That's what the, that's that that was the Air Force's goal. Uh-huh. They said that we want to close Blue Book and nobody else should do anything either. <laughs> okay. Let's so they're the senior they're the senior aviation organization in the government, so that uh at least in the military, so they're uh, that was their uh uh what they believe that how how things should be done. Nobody else should the uh, Space Force doesn't get controlled by the Air Force then. Let's hope it's so, joint effort. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, right? Wow. Right, but the Air Force said nobody should look at it. They recommended that nobody ever take a look at it again because there was nothing okay. to it. Might put the Air Force so, out of business. We don't want to know. Okay. Well, that's interesting so, uh, way to look at reality. Just ignore yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. So well, they said they said if there's anything that that is militarily about UFOs, we will get that from other government sources, like uh, uh, the uh, the Air Defense Command and NORAD and and things like that. But they didn't want anybody else investigating and. Uh, their supposed only reason for investigating was for national defense. National defense. So this national defense the... aspects of, of any UFOs that came along. That's what, that was their 
um, thing. And they said they didn't need any more. They didn't need any more uh, reports from the public. So DOD and Department of Defense and the Pentagon, and is that correct? But uh, separately from the intelligence community, which is well, that was their recommend. That was you know they can't order these people not to do it. They, but they were the ones that. It was established that the Air Force should be the lead agency on UFOs back in uh, uh, about 49. Is that just because they had anything to do with the sky or air or stellar? um, More or less that. So they were, uh, uh, at first, when uh, when the Defense Department was set up, or they called it the National Military uh, 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 they didn't call it the Defense Department well they called it the Defense Department right away but the uh, National Military Establishment is uh, um, the Air Force was the lead agency but the Navy and Army had input into how the US UFO investigation was done military but over the years wasn't a known factor, I guess. That grew after Eisenhower was claiming the military-industrial complex has apparently gotten its own teeth into some part of the government that not everybody was aware of, is what I understand. Well, but I'm not the sure national, about that. The, 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 the national military intelligence, or national military Establishment what uh-huh. was another name for DOD. That's all it was. Okay. Yeah. So we don't have any other big as, groups. Other than so as, as as long as as that existed like that, the Navy and the Air Force had the Navy and the Army had input. Oh, I see what you're saying. So any national military so, establishment. Yeah, in 1949, uh, Sidney Shallot, um, at the behest of uh, um, uh, General Vandenberg, uh, wrote a two-part article for the Saturday Evening Review. Vandenberg. Um, How does that sound? Like Vandenberg. Vandenberg. Oh, Vandenberg. He, he is later to become the the uh, chief of staff of the Air Force. So he uh, uh, he he uh, he uh, was friends with Sidney Shallot. Sidney Shallot wrote a lot of articles favorable to the Air Force. Uh, and one of the things that Vandenberg wanted him to do was to write an article on UFOs for the Saturday Evening Post. Oh, um, so they're going public with their findings now. They're yeah, back public. in back back in the back in the forties, uh, he uh, uh, Shallot wanted to do it in '48, but Vandenberg kept putting him off. So in '49, he said, "Do this." Right, yeah, but I'm going to explain how 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 the uh, Navy and the uh, Army were involved here. Okay. So Shallot went out to Wright Field where the UFO project was 
But before they could do that, the Air Force asked the Navy and the Army if it was okay for Shallot to do this article and to see the material. So the air is so you can see by this that the Air Force consulted with the Army and the Navy on this article to uh, before they could send Shallot out there. In other words, they asked for concurrence. Later on, I don't know exactly when uh, the Air Force gained prominence. They were the only ones. <laughs> but in the early days, the Army and the uh, Navy had input into the UFO project. They were collaborators for the defense of the United States and apparently the world at the time, right after World War or Korean War, right? right? So, so the, uh, the other services had input into what was going on. But finally, the Air Force... Got primacy. They were the they were the only ones. Who authorized? And so when they when they closed down the project, uh, they said nobody else should pick it up. Um. Uh, well, this, you've got all the data on who authorized what. So was that from the president on down, or did uh, the? No, 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 no. This is this is this is the Air Force. Just strictly the Air Force. It's strictly the Air Force. The National Science Foundation got involved. They, you know, it's recommendations. The National Science Foundation recommended that the Air Force's ideas be accepted. They, you know, it wasn't, you know, like... um, When a lot of intelligence going into it, they weren't joint collaborating. It was just... Air Force says, and this New York Post idea is going to be telling everybody how we're going to think together, I guess, with the public. Sounds well, like a railroad. <laughs> Railroading, but okay. So you well, have yeah, well, together. The, uh, the Saturday Evening Post article is very interesting that uh, Sidney Shallot, uh, he said that was the worst experience he had with the U.S. government, was writing that UFO article. Oh. It's a two-part article. It's in the Saturday Evening Post, and, of course, it was uh, it was during Project Grudge, so it was very negative. And, well, back uh, down there, the Saturday Evening Post was what's what, right? That was the cat's meow, or that was what yeah, was that was Yeah, that was one of the big ones. It was... It was, it was uh, I, I guess you might say it's number three or number four. You go look. I mean, excuse me, life, then look. Um, yeah, it's no longer around, but it was at one time one of the. I mean, it was it was a, it was it was up there in one of and re, remember people didn't have televisions then. Right, uh, we actually read magazines to know things. Yeah, they were, yeah. So magazines and newspapers were important then. More important than yeah. they are now. I'm not saying that they're not important now, but they they were more important. And even when television came in, they were still important. Uh, but you don't find Life Magazine anymore. It went out of business. Oh, the Saturday Evening Post is gone. Yep, and so you got you still got uh, time. You don't have Newsweek anymore. 
So a lot of uh, a lot of magazines are gone. But at the time, it was uh, it was uh, a pretty good um, media. So as a historian, uh, a lot of uh, millions of people subscribe to these magazines. So, so you see <laughs> the importance of the government wanting to use that as a platform to say this is. This is how it's going to be, folks, and let it just go from here, huh? Well, that let's not go big... with it. Let's let's not go right there. Let's not go there at all. Okay. It, it's it's General Vandenberg and a guy named Mister Leo, who is the uh, is the head of uh, uh, information Pentagon information. These two okay. guys are the guys that, that get with Sidney Shallot and say, hey, we <laughs> think you should uh, write an article on this. And huh. it's mostly right. Vandenberg's idea. And Mr. Leo is constantly needling Vandenberg. He said, when are we going to do this article? When are we going to do this article? Vandenberg said, well, I've had a few other things for Sidney Shallot, but... Uh, we're going to get to it. Huh, okay. So finally, in 1949, he said, okay, Sydney, we think it's time for you to write this article. So, uh, so Vandenberg is the, 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 the main, and this is all in his diaries. You can find this in his diary, uh, Vandenberg's uh, desk diary, <coughs> because it tells he had he had numerous meetings with uh, Mr. Leo and uh, Sidney Shallot, and then a lot of meetings just with Sidney Shallot by himself, and uh, the items discussed are there, and some of the some of the discussion is there. So, so this is all in General Vandenberg's diary. Okay, so you have a copy of General Vandenberg's diary or do we no, go No, I do not. I have I have uh I went to I went to the uh, uh Library of Congress and looked at the diary. Wow. And I made uh, because it's it's uh I mean, it's 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 not like a a book. It's you know, every day he all all the things that he did are in this diary. Okay, so at nine o'clock he meets with um, uh, General Twining, and uh, ten o'clock he meets with uh, General LeMay, and uh, eleven o'clock he meets with. Um, uh, Hill and Carter, uh, the, the chief of the CIA, and uh, twelve o'clock he goes to lunch with uh, with some of his staff. So oh, that's the kind of thing that's in his diary. Um, wow. And every day it's every day it's the, uh, the the what happened those those days, what he was what he was doing in the, at that time. Well, thank you for so, sharing. That uh, that sounds pretty important, and I it, it is. And you know, uh, um, uh, people 
went and looked at 1947 because, you know, at the time Roswell was the big thing. That's the only thing you, if you were a ufologist, that's the only thing you should be in, uh, interested in. And there was a uh, hoaxed disc that happened in uh, in Texas. And uh, people went and looked in 1947 in the diary, and they found uh, that entry, and that's the only thing they looked at. So they didn't they didn't look at further along what happened with. Uh, there's not you know General Vandenberg was he was not much. He, he he didn't do much about UFOs except with Sidney Shallot, and that's in there. And there's there's a number of uh, things when he, you know, was involved with Sidney Shallot, um, and that took going through turning page after page after page after page. Um, a lot of pages. Now, turn. Pete, yeah. Uh, people wrote General Vandenberg about UFOs. Mostly it was civilians, you know, reporting UFOs. And, of course, those things, he, there was a log of what what kind of letters came in. It wasn't complete, unfortunately. But, I, like I said, there, you know, uh, people wrote to him, people in the public wrote to him about UFOs about seeing them and everything. And, of course, they were just, uh, the letters were just sent to, to right field. So, so you're he didn't answer those. As the standard or, or gold weight in ufology for Roswell set the uh, benchmark, I get, because we had Foo Fighters and Orbs and all of that prior. No, no. No, no. The whole thing with, with Project 47 was to stay away from Roswell. Oh, okay. When I when I proposed Project Forty Seven, at that time, if you talked about UFOs, ninety percent of the talk was Roswell, 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 Roswell. And I said, listen, nineteen forty seven was a giant UFO wave. It's the beginning of the UFO era. Uh, I said, uh, Ted Blocher had looked at this and it was a giant UFO wave and um, I want to investigate the wave further and um, my fellow colleagues told me Blocher did the uh, did all the investigation that's necessary it's not important uh, everything's been done and I had to show them that there's still plenty of work to be done on 1947. I, I said specifically when I asked, when I started Project 47, I said, we're not going to look at Roswell. We're going to look at everything but that. Uh, if I find something about Roswell that's new, I'll let you know about it. Uh, on my website, there is some stuff that's uh, maybe not new, but it's... Uh, um, you know, some of the things that I, I did find and some of the things that should be looked for, which almost no Roswell investigator has ever looked where I suggested they look. Well, James, so. let's, let's discuss 
47 to 74, but when did you, as Jan Aldrich, uh, become a ufologist on the record? Is this in uniform in the Army or out of uniform after you get out of the Army and leave the post office? No, I, 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 I read Rupelt's book. At what age? The report on unidentified flying objects. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, I think in 1957. Oh my! So you're my. Yeah, when I was still, when I was, when I was uh, in uh, junior high. So you know, I. So I, you know, uh, it made me curious. So I started reading other books. Okay, so you were bound by something else. So Edward Rupelt, well, born tw- 23 to 60, a U.S. Air Force. Now, tell people what you're talking about with Edward J. Rupelt, because well, that he changed was, your reality. His, um, he was in charge of uh, the UFO investigation at Wright Field from uh night to middle of 51 till uh uh the end of 53 um the, excuse me the middle of 53 so for about 2 years he was uh he was the the head of uh, project blue book now this was a time when uh the uh his superiors or let's put it this way the pentagon was um, more open minded on ufos they had a, a a short period there where they decided that uh, let's just look at these like we haven't looked at them before why did he uh, die at age 37 that's all yeah he died know. very young he wow. died very young and uh, I talked to one of the people that worked for him, and he said that he's not. Uh, they were not. He was not surprised that Rupelt died young because he said this was a a type A personality. He was very um, um, so. It, it's unfortunate that you know that he didn't live uh, later on in the because he they probably would have had better. Uh, medical chances of living but uh you know he he died uh when we didn't uh you know uh, didn't have a lot of treatment for heart problems sounds very uh curious he died yeah, so he, in uh, california yeah so uh, he uh he, he after he after he got out of the service um he decided to write a a uh, a book on his uh, experiences with UFOs because it was it was quite interesting Keo had wrote written uh, flying saucers are real and flying saucers from outer space both which were very good sellers so Rupelt added his book which was the inside story and uh it wasn't a bestseller, but it was it did pretty good. It did fairly well. He uh 
first he wrote for True Magazine. He got $2,000 for True Magazine. He said that was a down payment on his house. Wow. So they say he died of a heart attack with no one really knowing, I guess, of a fatal heart attack, but that's what they said, right? That Edward Rubel died at age 39 from a heart attack, 37. Yeah. And you read his book, and that's what got you on the interest. That's what got me started, and I started reading other things. And um, the other thing was that in uh, in junior high, and probably the reason I read his book, this this happened about the same time. Um, uh, during the Christmas vacation, I was uh, uh, I had uh, we had a, uh, a snowstorm, and I had shoveled the walk, and I was. Uh, getting ready to make in the oven. I was getting ready to make myself some cinnamon toast after I came in to warm up. And uh, it's one of those winter storms where you had lightning and thunder. And I'm I'm by the electric stove, and I had there there was a radio on the electric stove. Um. And uh, our chimney got hit by uh, lightning, and when it did, there was there was a big spark that jumped across the uh, the top of the stove, and the radio went nuts, and it it was still going nuts. Uh, it was just static and everything, nothing uh, broadcast interrupted and I, I didn't know what it was is you know so I wanted to see if the oven was affected somehow by this lightning strike. So I opened up the oven and inside the oven there's this little ball of light about as big as a quarter. Um sitting not on the grate but just above the grate in the uh in the oven. And when I opened the door, it started to roll end over end. It wasn't touching the grate. It just rolled end over end to the uh, to the end of the grate and then sort of fell off and exploded. So I think that's how I got interested in UFOs, because of this thing. Because <laughs> when my father came home, and he was a chemist, and he, you know, um, I asked him about this thing. I mean, it scared the hell out of me. It knocked me on my backside. It was like a, it was like a, a, a cherry bomb going off inside the house. It was so loud, the explosion. So it scared the heck out of me. So then my father got home, and I said, you know, Dad, do you know what this is? And he said, no. He said, that's what the library's for. Oh. So, so I so went down to the, the library. library. Yeah, so I went down to the library and looked at, looked up, um, I found out that this phenomenon was called ball lightning. Wow. And uh, it's said in the Encyclopedia Britannica that uh, most scientists did not believe it existed. Oh, so I tried to read, 
Yeah, so I tried to read everything I could on it. There were magazine articles and scientific magazine articles and uh, reports in the um, uh, in the in the uh, newspapers and magazines, but they seemed to end about uh, in the 30s. Somebody had written a ball uh, an article on ball lightning that said there was nothing to it. That there, it was caused by he had a whole, whole list of things that caused it, and so if you ever see a UFO debunking book, that's what this article was. It debunked ball lightning, okay. and uh, some of the some of the same uh, explanations he gave are some of the same explanations for UFOs. So then I started reading about. I read Rupelt's book, and I recognized that hey. This guy, his name was Humphreys. He was a meteorologist for the Weather Bureau. And uh, because of his article, ball lightning disappeared from the scientific press for almost until the uh, late 50s. People didn't write articles about it and stuff. So you were always searching as an investigative reporter in your own mind or research because you wanted to find out what was causing it, right? You were Yeah, right. So then I read I read about UFOs and it seemed like the same thing was happening with UFOs. That they weren't looking at it seriously enough and they were just like Humphreys. People were coming up for with explanations that didn't didn't fit too well. So that's uh, and like I said, this both happened about the same time. So I can't say which which one. I you know it's hard for me to figure out you know remember which one was was the most uh, inspiring. But I kind of think that the ball lightning got me started, and then I read Rupelt's book, and I said, yeah, well, the same thing's happening with UFOs. So. Now, did uh, he was working with the Air Force Intelligence Headquarters at the time? He was working with uh, Air Technical Intelligence. And what they did out there is uh, they would try to get pieces of enemy or uh, hostile aircraft uh, or get hostile aircraft itself, you know, planes that crash and stuff, and evaluate them. That was the main uh, function out there is to uh, keep ahead of developments uh, uh, in the uh, th- that would affect the uh, air force. So it was air technical intelligence, which is about you know actual pieces of things. Um, so when they got the UFO problem. I mean, these are people that, these are engineers and things. They they, they want to work with things that they can touch and feel, and UFOs is not one of those things. Uh, but that's what he, yes, he worked there. And uh, uh, as a as a first lieutenant, he was, a, he had a major's job. Which is rather surprising, and he wasn't a uh he had experience in the Second World War as an enlisted man, but he was a brand new officer when he went to uh, Wright Patterson. He was a reserve officer 
called up to the Korean War. So when he went to Wright Patterson, uh, he, he he was he was a brand new officer. He didn't he uh, he had military experience, but he didn't have a lot of officer experience. Now he got in touch with a Long Beach writer, didn't he? When they put out a article on him in True Magazine. He got in touch with the. Well, he got writer. he got in touch with uh, with the uh, editors of True. Um, Jim Fellon, wasn't it? Yeah, Jim Fellon wrote articles about him in the uh, in the California press. Okay. Uh, he got in. Uh, uh, and he wrote a uh, an article for. Um, True magazine, and it was rather skeptical, and uh, and uh, the uh, editor told him, uh, uh, "You should make this uh, less. You should make this more uh, uh, not negative, but you should uh, more middle of the road." So that's what he did. Uh, and, uh, that's, that was his first thing. And, uh, like I said, he got $2,000, which at the time was a lot of money. Oh, it wasn't wow. like it is today. $2,000 was a lot of money for, for that article. So that's, that went for, uh, for a down payment of his home, which at the time, you know, homes didn't cost that much. Now, who is Professor Swords or Swords? Professor Swords helped him with his Swords, original he's manuscript. A, he is a he is the uh, uh, professor at uh, Western Michigan University. Uh, yeah. uh, one of the things he's or he was interested in is environmental science sciences. Um, uh, Later on, he became uh, uh, one of the um, important uh, people in Kufos. One of the because they had a lot of scientists that uh, Mark Rodiger and uh, Swords and Valet. They all, uh, you know, they were all in Ku, you know, Kufos helping Heineck oh, okay. out. They did Kufos. Were they some of the original founders of Kufos? Well, uh, Swords, uh, Swords wasn't a founder, but uh, he came in later. I don't think Rodiger was a founder. He came in later. Um, there were a number of UFO people that that, that helped Heineck start out. Uh, Sherm Larson was uh, head of the NICAP uh, uh, Chicago affiliate, and then he uh, helped out... Uh, uh, Heineck get established and start out, and uh, he actually uh, got the uh, NICAP files. Uh, so he had the NICAP files in his office. Uh, um, another Kufos member bought bought the uh, NICAP files. Well, so they you know, 
Yeah, I mean the the nightcap the neck the nightcap files were uh, sitting in a warehouse for uh, uh, maybe uh, five or six years. So who knows? Uh, oh wow! Um, so when and 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 when and when they were sold, um, the thing was they were told, "Well, you got to get these things out of here." Over this long weekend, I guess it was a uh, Labor Day weekend or something. They told them you're gonna get these out of here over the weekend, and I guess it was uh, uh, Dick Hall, which, uh, who had been the uh, assistant director at NICAP, and uh, um, Dr. Carlson, who uh, um, he wasn't, uh, he hadn't really been a NICAP person, but uh, he's a University of Maryland uh, astronomer, and he uh, he managed to get a uh, uh, a pickup truck from uh, the University of Maryland, and the, the two of them and a few other people moved the files over the weekend. So they, you know, they may have now, left stuff behind. Yeah. Where were these? Huh? And that where were these files for National Investigations Committee of Aerial Phenomena? So they were in the 50s to the 80s, right? NICAP, I've heard uh, a lot of people talk right. about that, including Dr. Bruce Maccabee. He was a part of that NICAP. But where was this? Was this in D.C. or where was this? It was in Washington. It was in Washington, D.C. and was headed by uh, Major Donald E. Keogh, who was a... Uh, um uh a UFO writer i mean he wrote yeah. he wrote uh five books on UFOs so and many magazine articles so uh yeah um nicap uh kind of was falling on hard times it was uh uh in the uh in the uh, middle and late seventies, it was kind of limping along, and the uh, uh, the files were put in storage, and uh, there was a, there was somebody that was running the organization out of his house. So uh, finally, when NICAP was close to collapse and didn't look like they were ever going to get going again uh uh Kufos made a offer to buy the files which was really smart because they have the files were really good and uh, uh when they were in their prime they did a lot of good investigations so now, Stuart uh, Nixon was uh, uh in charge of uh NICAP at the time or not Stuart Nixon, did you ever run across his name? Yeah, Nixon was in charge. Uh, um, the board uh, in the uh, in 1969 or the late 60s, uh, NICAP was having financial problems. Oh. And uh, they were also having, to a certain extent, the board felt like... Uh, well, actually, the board was told, "Hey, look, look! If you don't, if you don't get this 
situation with the finances under control, you could possibly be liable for some of the some of the things that NICAP's doing. So uh, uh, they cut down the number of people that were working there, and you know, more or less told the staff, "Hey, you've got to get this under control." And it 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 didn't look any better, and Finally, uh, uh, everybody was gone except Stuart Nixon. He was the last man standing. Um, Seems they had organization they, troubles in collecting membership fees. Uh, they had. Uh, you have to remember what the situation was like in 1969. It was they were they were going through the whole economy was going through troubles. Okay, the gas war and 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 the Vietnam War. There were a lot of people that just you know there was the support for the Vietnam War was uh, going down quite a bit. Uh, it, it had been after Tet and everything, and uh, people were not worried about UFOs and uh, and of course the Conning Committee. They said there's nothing to UFOs, and then finally in '69 the Air Force said we're closing Blue Book. So all those things impacted UFO organizations at the time. Yeah, minimum of 25 years old and able to drive 50 miles an hour just to qualify to be an investigator with NICAP. (laughs) Yeah, that's in my. My background. I'm well, no, they, 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 they had the. I'll tell you what the the investigation to be an investigator with NICAP, you had to have some kind of uh, experience, experience or uh, scientific or uh, law enforcement uh, journalistic uh, uh, experience that. You could invest. You knew how to investigate things. Um, yeah, they had CIA, and you had to have a background in physics or astronomy, anthropology, medicine, psychology, or CIA defense intelligence, and some type of advice on investigative techniques in government relations. Right. So that was logical or systematic program by which the advisors were chosen. So that's very interesting because NICAP was way back there. And do you have the dates when this was uh, 60s to the 80s? It dissolved NICAP? Or no, uh, NICAP went from uh, 56 to uh, 1980. 56 to 80. And then it was completely on CUFOs. Now, you said that NICAP, National Investigations Committee, Committee on Aerial Phenomena that they apparently not one person got all those boxes out of the warehouse. Is that correct? Some people bought them and Kufos got. No, no, they they were they were bought by Kufos, but they had sat there in in a storage for uh, years. So you don't know who went in there and got things out of there. Oh. Okay. And Keo Keo had a, a a list. If you if you look at Flying Saucer's Top Secret, he in Flying Saucer's Top Secret he has a list of 
uh, confidential cases. Most of these are people that were on active duty with the government or scientists <coughs> who had a UFO experience <coughs> but didn't want to talk about it. But they gave they gave Keo a report. Oh, okay. So they kept the government personnel separate from. Civilians. Well, these are these are people that didn't want their names mentioned. So Keo okay. had a special a special. Uh, he put these aside, and like he said, these are my confidential hidden reports. Aha. Uh-huh. So and like I like I said. In 1960, in his book, Flying Saucer's Top Secret, there's a list of them and brief descriptions of each one. And some are more described in more detail than others. Um, now, uh, some of those, uh, the, the witnesses finally decided to come forward. So, they are... Uh, those were in the files, the NICAP, the regular NICAP files. A few others that were considered hidden reports, uh, when we were going through and doing this thing, we were able to find them. And uh, a few others, after NICAP, after NICAP's de- demise, we were able to figure out who the witnesses were and go and talk to them. Not me, but other people, like Francis Ridge. So, but the majority of these hidden and uh, confidential cases, uh, uh, and they're real important. They're, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're some of the best cases NICAP had. They're gone. Nobody knows where they are, and I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised while that, while Nike, while the uh, stuff was in storage, that some people went in there and got some stuff because there's stuff missing. There's private that, that, files that I knew was there. Yeah, that I knew that was there. Huh? When NICAP, uh Nixon divided the country into regions, did you by chance know if they kept the files in the regions, or did they send them all? No, no. No, everything went to Washington. So now, under Keo, under Keo, they had what they called investigative subcommittees, and they were um, they were they were specialized in that they had people that knew how to do investigations, and they had a head. So maybe there was a subcommittee in Albany. And one in New York City, and uh, one in Pittsburgh, and one in Harrisburg, um, uh, Orlando, Florida, things like that. They had uh, at one time they had about uh, uh, forty subcommittees, and about thirty of them were active at any one time. And they weren't just in the United States. They were in Canada, like Hawaii, Guam, uh, Chile, Europe. So they were all over the place. <laughs> now, now, those were... Major Donald Kehoe, right? Major Donald Kehoe. Yeah. 
He was a right. Marine Corps. Yeah, he yeah. had he he had uh, he had a a balloon accident at Guam. Um, uh, I think it was in the uh, in the thirties, and uh, uh, he was uh, he had disability retirement. Because he, uh, but uh, he was uh, he was a uh, aircraft and balloon pilot, and uh, he had a ballooning accident in Guam, and uh, he uh, became disabled and and retired. Then he was recalled during the Second World War, and worked on <coughs> training and ad, uh, administrative manuals. So, do you have the letter uh, of uh, Donald Kehoe in your possession, or a copy of it from the reading room in the CIA, by chance? I don't know if any letters he did with the CIA, but he. Uh, um, <clears throat> in fact, I don't know anything that Kehoe did with the CIA. Well, it's uh, approved for release by NICAP. It's uh, Executive Officer Central Intelligence Agency, dated September 22nd, 1958. So this was approved for release in 2003. So I just happened to be looking at it for some reason. I don't know why or where it came from, but thank you, whoever sent it to me. It's a copy of a National Investigations Committee of Aerial Phenomenon, Major Donald E. Kehoe, Director. 1536 Connecticut Avenue, Washington, 60C North, and it's uh, to the Executive Officer, Central Intelligence Agency. So uh, apparently... Well, what does it say? What does it say? It says, since January 53, I've been aware of the fact that the Central Intelligence Agency assembled a group of scientists at the Pentagon to examine the evidence on UFOs. Oh, okay. That was yeah. Okay, that that he's he's trying to get information out of the CIA. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And nobody knew about the Robertson panel except what um, Rupelt had given a very sanitized uh, version in his book. He talked about the Robertson panel. He didn't say who they were. Uh, he did, he, and he didn't even say the CIA was involved, but yeah. So Keo was trying to get information about the Robertson panel. Um, okay. Well, it made so, it to the Central Intelligence Agency, and they've got... Well, he asked the Central... Well, the Central Intelligence Agency was the one that had the panel, so he was asking them, what, 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 what's the story here? Okay, there's a remark that, here. You've seen it, huh? I received a letter... From Kehoe, Major Tucker will be glad to answer both letters. And the line is right. See, the, the CIA fopped that off on the Air Force. <laughs> uh, yep, back here it says USAF. So both the above statements are true, and I suggest we write a letter to Kehoe telling him that we have referred this letter to Major Tucker's office, U.S. Air right. Force. All right, so they just rerouted it after they saw it, but it's copied. Sure, it sure. They just swapped it off on the Air Force. They didn't ask. Now, I uh, 
Don Berliner told me when the uh, when the uh, NICAP did uh, the UFO evidence in 1963, or he said these two guys came over and they wanted wanted copies, and he said he said and if I ever saw somebody that should have been in the CIA, it was these two guys. They said they <laughs> he said he said. They were they were not inconspicuous. They looked just like they worked in the CIA. So that's what he said about them. But later on, the CIA did contact Dick Hall. They went to his office. He showed them UFO cases. I guess he let them borrow them or uh, made copies for them. Um, and they were the. Uh, they told him that they were going to uh, see if they could get him a clearance because they wanted to discuss UFO something about UFOs that uh, they uh, it would be classified. So they were going to get him a clearance, and uh, and that is in the CIA stuff in the documents they re- they released is uh, the thing about getting him a clearance. So. Uh, they never did. You mentioned John yeah, they Berlager. never. They, they, yeah, they never did discuss. They never did uh, discuss anything classified with him, though. They didn't come back and do any discussions. So now, Don Berlager. They did. You mentioned him. He he did crash at Corona, and I know that uh, uh, back when I was t- before I, I talked to Don Berliner before I started heavily talking with Stanton Friedman, okay, Don Berliner. Now, do you feel like that uh, you've done any data collection on Don Berliner because you mentioned him? So tell me how you... Well, he was, was, he was, he was, he was working for NICAP. Okay. So he was working for NICAP and, uh, uh, so, yeah, I... Yeah, I stayed at his place one time when I was down in Washington. Yeah, great. So, so he did he have a he his was, own archive like you? Uh, he claims not to have very much stuff. Um, you know, I asked him about Foo Fighters, and he had some stuff he had collected, so he let okay. me have that. So, so that was prior so, to uh, forty-seven Foo Fighters, folks. If you for yeah, forty yeah. Because we're going so fast. I know you're doing a great job. Thank you so much. Everybody needs to understand that Jan's been doing this a long time. And Don Berliner, uh, like you said, uh, was, well, he was an author. He was born in 46. He's uh, five years older than me, I believe. Uh, So you knew Don Berliner, and he was in NICAP, and you stayed with him, and you got some stuff on Foo Fighters. Now that is the is that the original orange orbs orbs or gold orbs? Explain to people that was during the war, wasn't it? Korean War. They saw these. No, well, this is during the Second World War. Um, there were all kinds of things seen during the Second World War. Uh, uh, Keith Chester has been to the National Archives over a hundred times, looking for items on. Uh, 
unusual objects sighted during the Second World War. So oh, he he has a, a a real extensive file on Foo Fighters, which he has given to uh, Barry Greenwood, um, and he wrote a very interesting book called um, uh, Strange Company, which is about the Foo Fighter about the Second World War, UFOs in the Second World War. Um, and uh, it started off from before the Second World War started. I mean, UFOs have been around for a long time. Uh, right. And in the Second World War, there were there were quite a number of them, and uh, not knowing what they were... Um, uh, the military did some studies about them. Uh, in fact, after the war was over, uh, uh, General MacDonald, who was the head of intelligence in uh, Europe after the war ended, in Air, uh, the Air Force, Air Force intelligence, uh, he did a he did a study, and uh, <clears throat> Uh, Keith Chester found his uh, report to the uh, to the Pentagon in there, and uh, uh, they had uh, asked a lot of German scientists and military people about uh, Foo Fighters, and they uh, they denied all knowledge and. Uh, they had, of course, gone through the, uh, they had seized multiple technical documents from the German Air Force, and uh, it seemed that uh, people that they talked to, the Germans had seen Foo Fighters too, and they had no idea what they were. Uh, so it was both sides, but anyways, General McDonald's thing says, I, I, we can't conclude what these things are. We have, we, we get, just can't. Let me get, uh, Thomas Becker in here. Thomas R. Becker, I'd like you to talk to Jan Aldrich, and, and this is a good time because he said that the Foo Fighter files as much, uh, were turnover to, uh, Barry Greenwood, who's been working alongside Jan Aldrich, and we'd like to get Barry back here. I'll just have to, Jan, you'll have to tell me how to get in contact with him because I didn't call him direct last time. But Ahmad, right. can you, can you, have you got any questions for Jan or help us move along here? Because well, no, not, not it's to, a really good uh, historical event here. Well, I really don't have much questions about the Foo Fighters. I mean, we have reports from uh, several different uh, military organizations about them happening during the end of World War II. And uh, they're not as – once in a while you'll hear something about, you know, glowing light bouncing here and there, but uh, most of them seem to have uh, evolved into something more than just lights. Yes, yes. Yeah. There's, there's, there's actual the cigar-shaped objects, uh, uh, 
and there's uh, since the British have released some of their files too. I mean, uh, essentially, we what we've got is we've got lights and we've got UFOs, uh, just like we have today. So now, Jan, I want to ask you how you would classify, being that you're an old geologist. There's about 1984 over Rochester, New York, out over the like Great Lakes area was a white bright light, and it sat there with a lot of witnesses and uh, two orangey red, I would say more red, shot straight up, and then another one followed. They set together, and then one went out to the right, and one went out to the left and sat there calculating something before they each flew off, and they were. Uh, I don't know. When you're looking at a big white light, it's not like a star when that high. It was low, uh, you know, just above the trees and not up to the clouds, so to speak. It was uh, mid-evening. So it was a huge white light with two orangish-red like Kufo balls or uh, whatever the orbs are. Or maybe they would be drones. But they looked like they were intelligently guided in the way they went straight up very fast, like they were shot out of this white thing and then uh, went up and then moved real quickly over to the right and left before they took off. Now, that was my a sighting with my children in Rochester, New York. Have you heard of anything like that, two reddish-orange orbs shooting out of a white light in 84? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's uh, Well, there, there, there seems to be a, a number of um things where they uh uh where smaller UFOs merge with bigger ones. Um okay. we call them we call them satellite object cases. Um and uh it, right from nineteen forty seven they were noticed. Uh actually World War Two they had they had a few cases like that, so um yeah, it's not uh it's kinda rare but it's not uh, completely okay, unusual. I haven't, I haven't heard anyone else describe them but me, but I know that me and my children saw it and I reported it to nine one one and then Later on, when I moved with the Navy over to Hawaii, uh, they sent somebody with MUFON to New York. Uh, MUFON people came to investigate. I guess they were with MUFON. They said they were, but they came to a meeting where we drew it out on a board in Hawaii at the University of Hawaii. So, you know, several people attended, but it wasn't official. It was more of a UFO association meeting, not a MUFON meeting. In other words, right. people that I gathered there that uh, came to talk about, uh, well, we call them UFOs. <laughs> we didn't know yeah. what else to call them. So that's what we called them. So you have heard of that. That's good. That's really yeah, good. So that, uh, All yeah, right. Uh, I, I, uh, um, this fellow named Herbert Taylor has collected a, several hundred of those type of cases. Well, good. So, uh, You'll have to be in touch with them because you know so many people. We've got to get who's who and who's collecting which stories, which I'm not up on. I just now have time to uh, start right. devoting more time to research. So he is—he has started—he uh, has started uh, moving his files to Greenwood, 
it's a very green wood, so. Oh, really? Um, Is it because yeah, Barry's so, younger? And every, the old guys are passing on their archives? Some of them are. Some of them are just, uh, some of them are young and they want to get out. Or some of them are just, we're just exchanging stuff with people. Um, okay. Explain project that. uh project nineteen forty seven is uh is uh is twenty five years old uh in a few uh weeks my goodness and you originated that with uh the backing of right. uh, robert bigelow is that correct or no i arranged that with the backing of the u f o research coalition robert bigelow gave the money to the u f o Oh, okay. Bigelow didn't back that? me. Yeah. Would you explain so, that? Because there's a lot of misinformation out there about that transaction with Mutual UFO Network. But you personally know about this organization. Can you tell people about that? Because it's important in ufology and UFO history to understand. Well, the uh, UFO Research Coalition was made up of KUFOS, FUFOR, and MUFON. And uh, Bigelow said he would fund uh, worthwhile projects, and so uh, when the and he uh, was just into it. he from the time he was young was interested. I don't know his story, but are you yeah. familiar with Robert Bigelow's story? I haven't interviewed him. No, I, I'm not. I'm not. But what not what either. happened with the U, UFO research coalition was that. Uh, uh, he supposedly gave money with no strings, and uh, the the three organizations would select uh, what kind of projects they would do. And okay. I put in I put in for uh, Project Forty Seven to look for more material on to further investigate Nineteen Forty Seven and. Uh, um, Everybody thought that was the best one, so I got. I, and there were other things. I mean, they did abduction research and they did other things, but uh, uh, I think I was first out of the uh, out of the box. And they decided to do another, the second volume of uh, uh, the UFO evidence, and. Uh, so no, there were a number, number of projects that were done, and Bigelow gave the money until uh, he decided he should uh, uh, be more active, and so that thing fell apart. He, he so. should be more active, and it fell apart, or inactive, sure. financially? He or? thought that he should be running it. Oh, he felt and, like if he put in the money... As an angel or a, or a best, and he invested. Well, he said he, he said no strings, and then he decided he wanted to run it. So. Oh, <laughs> so these are three nonprofits. Yeah, these were nonprofits. Okay, I understand then. Yeah, that would be very uh, politically incorrect, I, I would imagine. But I could understand if you invest, whether it's profit or nonprofit, you'd want to return on your investment. Right, but like right. you said, it's your understanding. Now, folks, this is hearsay, right? But the hearsay is because I was involved in 2008 and something to do with putting together star team investigators inside the 
year up. Well, this is this is up. back in night. This is back in 1994. Okay, so that this was is not. This is way uh, earlier than anything wow, with the Star Team. That's direct. That's 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 MUFON, and that's direct in MUFON. It's not the UFO Research Coalition, okay, which so still exists. Uh, the UFO Research Coalition still exists, and there's money in the Treasury. In fact, Full Force still exists. There's money in the Treasury, and PUFO um, still exists. There's money in the Treasury. So um, the coalition. So he pulled back then. Once he did, he get. Did he own any files for his investment, or was that a? Uh, well, you had to. I, I did a. Re, I did a. I did a. Re, I did a report. I did several reports because I started branching out. I. Uh, I uh, affiliated with uh, Dominic Weinstein in France. He, he's uh, 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 an intelligence officer for the French uh, security services, and uh, he started putting together a catalog of uh, aircraft crew sightings of UFOs, and so I helped him. So that was, you know, one thing that I got involved in because of this. Uh, and uh, uh, several other people's projects. Well, that's important, uh, Jan, because now you're not only talking about your history and collaborating with various nonprofits in the, for the United States files, but now you have a collaboration with the country of France, which makes it an international endeavor. With right, well, yeah. See, Dominic was not at the time. He was not doing this for the French government. I'm just saying that this was this was a uh, uh, he, he uh, now later on the uh, the French government said, we're going to take your data and we're going to uh, uh, look at the uh, some of the radar data you've got, you've collected there, because it's uh, very interesting. So they, uh, one of the things they kind of determined was that uh, the pilots were very good at estimating the size and distance of the UFO from the aircraft, even though they had very little um, reference points in the sky to look at. They just so uh, they were good because uh, they were used to looking at their equipment and being yeah, yeah, to so right, yeah, yeah so that uh, right. So okay. the uh, the the French uh, French space program uh, has a UFO uh, committee inside it, and so. Uh, uh, they uh, they contacted Weinstein and they uh, they used his, his data that you know not not just uh, I provided a lot of data for Weinstein. He said you know he says you give me the data and then I put it in a catalog and publish it. He said you you're doing all the work, but that's not true. Uh, he was getting. Uh, People in Spain, Italy, England. Uh, so he was doing uh, Europe, European theater. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
uh, Australia. People were sending oh. him stuff from all around the world. So this is, uh, it's about, uh, uh, he has about 1,800 uh, um, sightings by air crew from uh, 19... About 1916 to uh, the the late 1980s. Did he put it in a book or uh, data uh, archive? It's it's online. It's online, and you can look at his catalog. Uh, It's uh, at the uh, NARCAP site. So, so So uh, doctor, let's let's tell people real quickly here. It's. uh, We've only got about 24 minutes left. So you're, give them the name of your website and the one we're talking about with Mr. Weinstein. What's his first name and how do we reach his files in NARCAP? And they're international, not just USA files. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, worldwide, yes. Worldwide. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, it, it was a process, you know, because some, you know, UFO cases become solved during the, you know, so we would have, we would have entries in his, in his catalog and we would find a solution to them. And so then they would fall out of the catalog. We'd take them out of the catalog. Um, we have a discussion on my website about, uh, uh, how we were, you know, it, it shows what we were doing, you know. I, I had one of the um, uh, letters that I wrote him telling him, hey, I, I found these cases and here's the references and some of these, uh, some of these cases I've got more information now and uh, one or two of these cases we should take out of there because they're not there. I, I have a... Uh, showing how we... Uh, how we worked on this catalog. Um, All right, and that, that's my site is seven, right? Right. So ahead. it's uh, yep, www. dot project nineteen forty seven all one word dot com, and uh, that'll take you to the homepage right there. Um, it's been on the internet now for not quite twenty five years. So and it years. keeps expanding. It keeps expanding, and we keep putting new stuff on there. And the next thing that will be on there is the uh, last two trips, uh, research trips I took. I uh, sent John a uh, my uh, uh, um, uh, the Project Forty Seven webmaster. I sent him uh, uh, trip reports on uh, the last two trips I took this year. So now, is that'll the be the next thing that's on here. What? Is, is your webmaster for your project 1947 Legion 47 at Gmail? Yeah, that's him. Is that, now who is that? Who's the webmaster? You or someone else? No, no. John Stepkowski in, in Australia. My webmaster's in Australia. Okay. Well, say his name again because. That's the first we've, uh, you probably mentioned it the last time you were on, but uh, st- say his name again and uh, tell us a little about John Stepkowski. So he is, uh, uh, we've been together for nearly 25 years. 
on this project. Yeah, so, so, uh, and he's uh, pretty good with web solutions, and uh, that that's his job is computers. So, uh, he helps me out on that. So his Legion forty seven at Gmail is John Right. And I can't uh spell his name for us in Australia. Stepkowski. So, Stepkowski. All right. I we'll figure it out. But uh that's Jan Aldrich and all his historical documentation. And then how do we find out that French gentleman that you, Mr. Weinstein in France? Is he well, a link on your site on Project 1947? Do you have links, or is that our job to start getting all that? No, it's uh, it's it's at the NARCAP site, the... Uh, uh, NARCAP, um, N-A-R-C-A-P? Yep, uh, .org. Yeah, um, NARCAP.org. So it's All right. uh, we'll the uh, national uh, oh. aviation reporting you know center. Yes, right. That's it. National Aviation Reporting Center and um, anomalous phenomena. Yep, yeah, and the uh, founder was a NASA scientist. Uh, uh, so Dr. Richard uh, Haynes. Yes, Richard Haynes. So okay. he has about 3,000 cases in his files for aircraft crew, so. All right. Uh, so you're going yeah, on so the fact that we have... There are all kinds of uh, uh, articles, not only by Weinstein, but a number of other people on his site, uh, scientists and aircraft people and stuff like that. Uh, now, on my site, I do have a little bit about when I was dealing with uh, uh, you know he is like I said, he is in the the French security service. He's a captain. So uh, when Captain Weinstein was we were uh, working on thing together, i I have uh, I have a document on there you can look at that's shows how we were doing this. Now that's on your site, which is project. That's on my site. And I, I want to say on my site, I have a, a, a number of uh, articles by other people that. Uh, okay. Uh, so, I, uh, yeah, so there's uh, um, Keith Basterfield in Australia and, uh, he uh, he was instrumental in finding a large number of official Australian documents uh, and and uh, getting them out to the public. And so he has written several articles and uh, put up uh, about a dozen uh, catalogs of different things like uh, trace cases. Uh, uh, electronic interference cases, um, occupant cases. So uh, uh, he writes for my he writes on my site 
um, number of uh, Paul Dean, uh, Barry Greenwood writes sometimes for my site. So uh, it's it's just not my site. In fact, uh, uh, Keith uh, had so many things on my site at one time. I told him it's not the uh, it's not the Project Forty Seven site anymore. It's the Keith Bastardy of UFO Research site because we have so much stuff up there. So, uh, well, you do have an awful lot of data, and uh, do you have any idea how big your archive is? Is it very costly to keep up with all this data that you've got digitized in your one site? It's got to be pretty yeah, thick. It, it is. It is pretty extensive. Uh, we get a break uh, from the. Uh, you know, it, I guess it's not that expensive to have a large website, but we get kind of a break anyways because people are kind of interested in it. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. So you have several organizations that may pitch in or help you with the cost maybe or something like that for data collection. Well, yeah, well, some of the – yeah, um, uh, one of the Project Forty Seven archivist, uh, I think she's been paying for the website for several years now because I haven't got a bill in a while. So I think she's been taking that over and not telling me that. Well, that's nice. So, you may want to find it and put it in, you know, a courtesy of or sponsored by she. But people yeah. do this because of their interest as a hobby or as a, how they help the world, you know, because they want this data to be out there. So like, why have you on here? I plan on keeping yeah. this going as long as I'm alive. And hopefully Mad's helping me get it set up with Allied Command. Hopefully for everybody, if anywhere in the world, it's going to be international for archiving and storage purposes. Just like you've got 47 here. We just hope to Keep yours linked in to any and all of them, you know, digitized together, linked in, and maybe RSS feed on some of the radio shows such as this one. Now, uh, so, uh, yeah, Project Forty Seven. We uh, we have a number of uh, items on there too that uh, people have uh, used to have websites, website. and they yeah, and they let us take. Uh, the material over because they got out of the subject. So well, this uh, is good to know that you have been able to network and take over uh, data files. It's not that easy to do a file. No, no. You, usually file. people just people just give up and go away, and their their site just rots away, and or either well, it just FTP? goes away. You do an huh? FTP over, right? You do a file transfer protocol, FTP, of their data files into yours? Yeah, so it's just on my website with everything else. Wonderful. It looks great. Yeah, so the, the thing is, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, um, so there's, there's a, there's a number of things that, uh, used to be on the web in other places. And uh, you know, I've taken over the 
the website, uh, the you know parts, not not the whole thing. Uh, uh, Joel Carpenter uh, gave me permission to use uh, his uh, article on ghost rockets, which is very long, and his article on green fireballs, which is also very long. So I I really don't have to write on those because he did all the work. And it was on his site, and uh, uh, he decided that he wasn't going to, you know, have public a public site anymore. And he said, you could have these. Well, actually, I begged him for it, but uh, he said <laughs> you could have them. So. Well, you uh, and and right now he's passed him. away. See, now he's passed away, but this this goes on. And uh, Project 47, uh, we made arrangements. If I pass away, it'll go on. So Wonderful. Now, the Oz so. Files, who was that? Who was the Oz Files with you? What's that? The Oz Files blog spot, that's yours? Oh, oh that's, uh, that's Bill Chalker. That's uh, William Chalker. Uh, so he had a uh, book called the Oz Files. It did very well in in Australia. It did pretty well in the United States, actually. So uh, uh, that's his. Uh, he, in the early days of getting government files out of Australia, he was a pioneer in this. So, wow. Are you staying in contact with him? Yes, yes, he is... Uh, he is one of the co-authors of our book, The uh, UFOs and Government. Great. Well, tell us uh, the books you feel like we should uh, get and put on our site with yours. Uh, of course, your link and everything you're doing with all these wonderful people. But, uh, and Mad, uh, maybe we, you could get Jan to give us an idea or do an article on this Allied Command organization you're putting together every two months. Uh, he's done mostly science or space junk or something to do, but uh, the UFO Association, we can do a file on uh, you, Jan, and anybody else at your level of historical archiving, like the NICAP and then the Oz files out of Australia, and then Dominique Weinstein in, Weinstein in France, right? Is there anyone else right. you'd like to mention, like in our Who's Who? Because we want to build well, a who's who in archives. See, like, uh, um, you know, I usually try to give credit to uh, some of the people that uh, have sent me files that I'm digitizing now. But actually, I thought about it the other day. There's about 300 people during, uh, you know, during the last 25 years that have uh, helped out. Project 47, and some of them, uh, like uh, Dominic, are uh, it's really a, a lot of help, and, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, a few things that people pass along. But uh, uh, I'm grateful for it all, and, some, uh, and in some cases, I have, you know, people that have passed away, we have their uh, collections. So... Um, it's really uh, uh, it's really uh, a large number of people that have uh, ha helped out over the years. 
Well, we want to get a list of the old guys, so to speak, like men in black, but we have all the old guys in the who's who and how to recognize, uh, you know, who's who in the field as ufologists right. or researchers. Uh, yeah, and a lot of them, they didn't want to be recognized at the time. Yeah, so you know, it's changing uh, now, though, because it's their legacy to leave these files, and they've collected them. It was a, a like a clipping service or art form in the beginning, wasn't it? It's gotten to be uh, more of a library. And the people in great debt because there wasn't an official way to do this. The government was unsure, and once they decided – you know, there's nothing they could do about them if they were coming and going, apparently, and they didn't seem to be hurting. So I don't know what – what is your suggestion? Because we're just about out of time, but we'll have you back if you'd like to come back. And Mad's building an allied command organization with me for uh, something that is going to be something new and better and hopefully getting people like you out there to be more recognized with your – colleagues that you've done archiving and there's a reason because we didn't have a you know after Blue Book and the Air Force and then whomever after that KUFOS, NICAP or NICAP then KUFOS and Project 9047 I don't know if uh, is Bigelow still interested in helping obtain the data or I mean who's out there besides uh -huh. you and Church well, there's, some, there's 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 a you know MUFON is still operating and uh, they're the they're the main ones that are collecting data right now. Uh, there's the National UFO uh, Reporting Center. Uh, yeah, Filer George yeah. Filer. No, um, uh, Peter Davenport National UFO Reporting Center. Oh, okay, Peter. And he has an eight hundred. He has an eight hundred number. You can do it online. So he has, he has a huge uh, reservoir of uh, reports that he's put together. So we'll have to link uh, his number and all of that for sure to try to do a good job of keeping at least yeah, some sure. basic should... data. Yeah, yeah, you should you should put uh, Peter Davenport on there for sure, so people can report uh, UFO cases, um, and they can be uh, anonymous if they want to. So, although uh, it carries more weight if you have a name, you know, if you have a name with it, it carries more weight. Anonymous doesn't work too well. Yeah, yeah, a person that's uh, the witness and to yeah. explain the yeah dem, yeah everything yeah. about it. All right. Well, we've got a lot of information we need to distribute, but we pull it together, make it a little easier for everybody. And you're doing you've been doing that for a long time, and that's what you're known for. So, uh, not everybody, I guess, was uh, chosen, maybe or chose the field, right? Right. Well, Valet, Valet said it pretty good uh, uh, in uh, one of his diary entries. He said, there's a lot of people that are working more or less by themselves without any support or money. 
that are, you know, putting these things together, doing things, and uh, not necessarily uh, uh, looking for recognition. And he said there's a lot of people like that. And uh, actually, that's true. And uh, so... You just have to... Def- Sad, what's yeah, it would it would be it would be it would be good if uh, there was still a NICAP organization around. That's what I think. Right. Uh, well, all I can do is the PR part of it, and then uh, offer, you know, what I do as a, well, a collector, I guess, a website webmaster, and put together a place to hopefully uh exchange information that's all we can do we give it out and i think it's good educational entertainment i'm mad we've only got a few minutes here you haven't been you've been very quiet but uh i know when we archive we uh we we don't really participate that much do we Ahmed? but Ahmed, do you want to tell uh jan anything I feel bad Nah, I ain't doing good. <laughs> Matt's been doing this for years, Jan. <laughs> he's probably sitting there working on a book or artwork. He's an artist and an author. But uh, he's very interested in ufology and people in the business. He's never had a sighting, right, Ahmed? But you don't disbelieve, right? I've seen a light in the sky in the 70s when I was in the military. But other than that, no, nah, I don't know what it was. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, me too. I, I've never seen any. I've never seen anything that's real significant. Me too. Well, I, I haven't seen like much have, significant. I don't know that anybody yeah. seriously out there with MUFON ever took a real report. Big that photo my daughter took here in Gulf Breeze in 2008 could have been anything, but I don't think he had the the information or the money or the. Uh, People, you know, they'd had to take her cell phone, I guess. I don't know how you do that, but uh, it was pretty good to me. It looked like ones I'd seen. So, And I know her. She's not into it at all, but she took it and uh, sent it to me. So I sent it to him. I put it on a book. But, uh, you folks, it's just whatever you're called to do. You know, why is anybody interested in UFOs? I guess to me it's very intriguing and fascinating, but more so the people that are involved as ufologists, researchers, archivists, authors, historians. So please join us if you're interested, and we'll do our weekly show. Jan Aldridge is a well-known ufologist in the business. I guess anybody that's anybody knows the word Jan is very big in this. Jan Aldridge, Jan Maccabee, Jan Harzan. Jan Thurman, that's me, <laughs> ACIR, but uh, it's just Janet Airlines. <laughs> it may or may not be a coincidence. And uh, Anyway, Jan, I'd love to have you back. Uh, you're, I'm sure we've got lots and lots and lots of data to put together a thread of, of information if you'd like to help. So get all that data to secure, and let's keep doing a – a live stream of uh, information, if you'd like, whatever, if you feel like talking. Sure, that'd be fine. All right. Well, Ahmed, any last words for Jan? Or you want to do this again and uh, do more uh, history? Just 
let everybody know that the uh, ACO uh, magazine for uh, September and October is out and up for uh, sale on Amazon. All right. That's called Allied Command Organization. And Tucker is the author of that. And we're sponsoring it as American Communication Online to bring educational entertainment to you as we find uh, people will bring it to us, like Jan Aldrich, famous, well-known historian, and uh, many, many, many years. And we appreciate him for being a true archivist and historian and working with the libraries and people around the world. Well, Jan, hopefully we'll get back in touch with you. If not next week, just let me know if you can't make it. Uh, but you may come up with some things that you've been looking at and look at. Uh, we basically are starting at 47 to 74 tonight. And uh, we'll keep working on it, folks. We've got a lot of names and a lot of people that do want mentioned and a lot of names that need to be mentioned. So we're putting together an oral history right here with Jan Aldrich of uh, Project 1947. Thank you, Jan, and hopefully we'll see you next week if if you feel like it. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jan. Appreciate it. And right. hopefully next week we'll talk again. Thank you, Mad. Guess we'll see you tomorrow night, folks. Thank you, everybody. Live archiving at your service. We will return. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.